0: Welcome to the Preaching Podcast from the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church in Bonners Ferry, Idaho. In 1 Timothy 315, it says that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Therefore, we believe it is our duty to hold fast and to hold forth the truth, which is the Word of God. We're glad that you're listening and hope that you will be encouraged by what you hear today. Again, let's read Galatians 5.1. Then we're going to scoot right on over to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. The first two words of Galatians 5 is stand fast. And here the instruction is to stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. When you got saved, what you understood is that because of your faith in Christ, not because you generated some kind of faith, faith is a gift from God, amen? Now, there are those who choose to disregard faith. They choose to act in unbelief. But the Bible says that we've been given a measure of faith. God gives us the ability to believe Him. And yet he keeps our will free so that if we so choose, we can disbelieve him and feel the consequence of that. But faith is a gift from God as every good gift is. And, uh, and so here, when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, if you were saved the Bible way, well, you understood you were as righteous as you'll ever need to be to have eternal life and spend eternity with God. How many of you believe you got saved by your good performance? Meaning, I was being so obedient to my parents or I was being such a good wife or such a good husband or such a good... what? No, what happened is God convinced you you were not good. God convinced you that you were worthy of His judgment, but that Jesus Christ would give you His salvation if you'd trust Him for it. And when you got saved, you believed what the Bible said about Christ making you righteous. You may not have understood terms of justification. I didn't. What I understood is if I would trust Christ, God would spare me the wrath I deserved. He would save me. Uh, And there's so much more I've learned since then. When I trusted Christ, I was convinced there's nothing I need to do to add anything to this. I'm saved. That my faith in Christ makes me acceptable to God. That it's Christ that has made me right. It's Christ that's cleared my sin. And I felt no need to do anything more than that. I was saved and there was nothing more I needed to do to be saved. I, there was a point where I got baptized, but it's very clear in my mind as a seven-year-old child, I did not get, need to get baptized to prove I was saved, but to demonstrate that I was saved. Does that make sense? I wasn't, I wasn't getting more saved. I knew that if I didn't, I was. Christ had saved me. But because he had saved me, I wanted to outwardly express the persuasion I had that Jesus Christ had saved me. After baptism, there was a time in my life where I was not abiding in Christ as I should, and yet God would question me, are you saved To the preaching? I would hear that preaching, and I would think according to God's word, I'm saved. I'm not acting and thinking like I should, and it was the assurance that Christ alone as my Savior makes me righteous. There was a point where I knew I had to surrender to his leadership in my life, not because he forced me by strength and coercion. I heard a theme tonight in praising the character of God, mercy, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness. Those are all attributes of God, no doubt. Yet we heard of his righteousness and his justice. How about his power? Is he not omnipotent? Of course he is. You know what God's gentleness is? It is an expression of his meekness, his willingness to withhold his power and strength that he might bless us. I'm glad for his meekness tonight. My point is, I'm trying to demonstrate, it is the assurance, the liberty I have in Christ, meaning I am not bound to do anything else to be righteous in the sight of God once I've come to faith in Christ. My salvation is complete. I, when you see people wanting to take you back, and by the way, in Galatians specifically, there was an endeavor to take people back to the Old Testament legal code to the precepts of the law to say you have to keep the precepts of the law or you either don't get saved or you're not really saved. Meaning you got to keep the precepts of the law to either obtain or procure salvation or prove you have it. Now, if you and I are bound to the law, then we're bound to all the law. And so what we find specifically in the New Testament that early Christians were being taught was this. If you don't circumcise your children, you're not really believers. You're not saved. If you don't keep the dietary laws, you're not meaning. If you, if you Gentiles, though you've come to faith in Christ, if you eat pork, you're still on your way to hell. But that's not true. Can I say this tonight? I'm going to be very careful what I say. I don't believe it's prudent. Or righteous for a saved person to abuse their body through smoking but smoking does not negate your salvation it doesn't. I know some people think it does but if so then the lies you told after you got saved negated your salvation we're not promoting sin tonight I'll get, we'll be very clear on that but what happens is in the context and I'm not preaching on Liberty we'll get into that next week but there there is a there were people coming in trying To rob them, when you got saved, you were liberated from the bondage that you had through the guilt of sin. Law-keeping is a person trying to prove they are righteous when they are not. and That's why the law binds you to your sin and binds your sin to you. When you put your trust in Christ, he cut the bonds. He loosed you from your sin. It is no longer your master. The law keeps... You know what the law is? It is the chain that binds you to your sin. The law is good. It's sin that's bad, but the law keeps you bound to your sin. The harder you try to release yourself from the sin, the more you prove you're bound to it. But when Christ came, he fulfilled every demand, cut the bonds, and set you free to serve him. Liberty is not, especially Christian liberty, the freedom to do anything I have a passion for Liberty is now the freedom to serve God when I was bound by sin before. Again, we'll say more about that next week. But in the context of this, Paul is saying, don't let anyone move you from the freedom you... Christ has freed you from your sin. Now, don't let somebody take you back and tie you to your sin again. Amen? Again, I'm preaching a little bit ahead of the message on liberty. There's much the Bible says about liberty that we need to know. But here, that's the context of stand fast, meaning don't move. Don't change your thinking about where you are. We'll come back to this point in just a moment. I've probably mostly preached it already, but this is not where I want to begin. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, we find the first exhortation to stand fast. It's a brief verse at the end of the book of Corinthians, uh, and it is much quoted, many times given at a men's meeting or men's retreat, and the truth would be, While men are singled out here, this is not a verse exclusively for men. It says to quit like men. Uh, It says, verse 13, watch ye, be alert, be on guard, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. Now, quit doesn't mean, well, here we use it. Quit you here means to, to equip yourself or to posture and position yourself like men. That ought to tell us, by the way, men, that men are supposed to be masculine, strong, enduring, abiding. It tells us something about what God expects of masculinity, but I digress. That's why it's often in men's meetings. But uh, watch ye stand fast in the faith. A similar verse is given in Jude verse 3 when Jude says he wrote to the believers he wrote to. Them. I'm going to flip over and read that. We're familiar with Jude verse 3, but I'm going to read it. Jude, verse 3, uh, Jude had a desire to write uh, of a different uh, content. He said in verse 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old, of old ordained uh, to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. The term the faith is used both in 1 Corinthians six thirteen and in Jude verse 3. And in Jude verse 3, said, I want you to earnestly contend for the faith. When the faith is spoken of, it is speaking of the body of truth concerning the Lord Jesus Christ that we have been given in our Bibles. It's preserved now for us in writing. In Jude's day and the time of 1 Corinthians, much of it was still being passed on from the apostles verbally and then being written down and preserved. But the faith is that body of truth that we have about the Lord Jesus Christ, the persuasion we hold concerning Him, our confidence in Him. It speaks of our persuasion of his promises being true, his principles being right, and the practices that go along with that being the right thing as well. And so in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, the call to stand fast in the faith is a call to not move from the persuasion we have. We've been given certain promises by God uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the promise of the forgiveness of sins. We have the promise of eternal life. We have the promise of access to the throne of grace and God's mercy without, by the way, a human intercessor. I was getting a witness to a guy earlier this week. He's an alcoholic in our community, a drunkard man. He's lost, he was raised Catholic, very confused about what salvation is because he was talking about how when uh, he was a child, they would go and confess to the priest, and that priest, it was very clear in his mind, he said that priest then would go to Jesus and get forgiveness for us. talking about a human being. And me and the fellow that were witnessing him said, no, 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 that's not the way that works. There's only one go between, only one, that's Jesus Christ. And we have a promise that we have access to God's throne of grace and mercy through faith in Jesus Christ, We have promise of a new nature. We have been made partakers of the divine nature. You see, God's made us promises. If you put your trust in my son, here's what I will do for you. We have the promise that we're going to get a glorified body. We have the promise of Jesus Christ's return. We have the promise of all the wisdom of God imparted to us at our need. If we will but pray and ask for wisdom, he will give it liberally and upbraid not. We have promise that if we'll seek first his kingdom and his righteousness... Uh, earthly things will be met and needs be met and all these things will be added unto us. Shall we go on with more promises? You know, promises of God, God has given us in Jesus Christ. You know what the faith is? The faith is because Jesus Christ is who God's word said he is, the promises of God in him are yea and amen, as 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says. Meaning, if God said it and it is through our Lord Jesus Christ and faith in him, then it's ours. I am promised that tonight by faith in Christ, I am currently, present tense, a son of God. I'm a child of God. Now, somebody's going to come along and say, no, 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 no. No, you don't get to discover whether or not you're really one of his children until you die. Then you'll find out if you're really one of God's children. Stand fast in the faith. Don't let anybody move us with some persuasion that is contrary to the promises of God. And by the way, there will be an effort and an endeavor to do that. You know what? For, for you young people brought up in this church, uh, if you're not out hearing a lot of other preaching and teaching and so forth or engaging people who believe differently, and some of you are, but the fact is if you're not, there can get this idea that, well, everybody just believes like we believe. No, 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 you, you start getting away from the Bible and what, what the Bible says. People have ideas all over the map, about who God is and how you gain access to people that claim to be Christians. And they will seek to destroy your confidence in the promises of God through the Lord Jesus Christ that are yours. And Paul is telling the Corinthians, uh, you stand fast in the faith. Don't, don't move. That word stand fast, it's two English words that come from one Greek word and it means to be stationary. That is to persevere. Get this, it means to stand fast fast don't move do you realize what the context of Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 through 18 is the whole armor of God is not about advancing it's about not retreating It's about not moving we're having done all to stand stand therefore don't move this is a stand standing fast in the faith is not about maintaining a physical position. It's about maintaining a spiritual one. When God has persuaded you of something from his word, don't let anybody unpersuade you. Stand fast in the faith has the idea of standing fast in our persuasion of the truth of his promises. And again, there will come those, either your own thoughts or the, the teachings of other men, people that are unbelievers, they're going to say, That's not the way I view it. That's not the way that I look at it. You're going to come to somebody that says, Well, God doesn't believe in deathbed repentance. You hear you thought that when you put your simple faith in Jesus Christ as a repentant sinner, that he would grant you eternal life in that moment. Ah, not so fast. Don't you think God is so unjust as to let you live a life of sin at the last minute? Say, Well, I want forgiveness in that. Go to heaven. I had a man tell me that today. He doesn't believe in deathbed repentance. When he's on his deathbed, he's going to want to. This man was telling me he hadn't repented yet, as far as I can tell. I'm trying to say you use this. God believes in deathbed repentance. The thief on the cross got saved moments before he died. But here's what some false teacher is going to say. No, 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 no. No, you don't understand. There is a comma missing in that verse. This day, it should have a comma there. This day, comma. I say unto thee this day, meaning he said it on that day, but it didn't come to pass that day. That's right. Well, I'm glad that some intelligent people can come around and correct God's book. You know what the problem there is? What the Bible plainly teaches there in Luke 22, what the Bible teaches there is not aligned with a works-based salvation as we want it to be. So we have to modify the scripture. You know what somebody's trying to get you to do? shake your confidence that you're saved shake your confidence in the faith in Jesus Christ that faith in him alone is what justifies a person is that not the faith that we are not trusting in a program we are not trusting in our performance we are trusting in a person look at Romans chapter 4 as an example of being steadfast or standing fast in the faith Abraham is used here Romans chapter 4 God had made him a promise of a son. The lack of receiving that son shook Abraham's faith to some degree, it would seem. But the Bible's record, the Bible record of Abraham's faith is that, you know what? He held on to the promise of God. Let's read these verses, Romans 4, 19 through 21. The Bible says, of Abraham, and being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. Do you realize Abraham's own body stood up against the promise of God? Abraham's body said what God promised is not possible. But the Bible said he didn't consider it. Meaning when he would start thinking, how are me and Sarah going to have a child? I'm too, I won't even think about it. God said, God said. So being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform and therefore was imputed to him for righteousness. You Think about some of the promises in God's word. Some years ago, my wife and I were working through a child training issue and our faith was tested, just be quite honest. We were acting upon the wisdom of God's word and how we were handling the situation and as we did it wasn't working meaning the desired result of wisdom and obedience wasn't coming and there's a point where you say well this is what god said to do but it ain't working and then we did a no no we went to proverbs and found a promise that's in proverbs and said that's a promise not a proverb and i understand some proverbs are principles but there was a promise that told us that if we would correct that God would give rest our soul and that child would bring delight. And God dealt with us both and said, are you going to believe me or not? It's just a simple illustration and I can give you plenty where we've not acted in such faith. But the point was, life challenged the word of God. You know what we're prone to say? That didn't work. Even though God promised, I asked him for wisdom he said that he would make a way to escape, but it hadn't happened. We've staggered. We've staggered through unbelief. If you're God's child, there are some promises that apply. How many of you know 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, is a promise for you as a child of God? There's no temptation taking you, but such as is common Commandment: God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. How many of you, your own experience has put that verse to the test? to make you think, I don't know if that's true or not. I don't stagger. Stand fast in the faith. That's what it's talking about. Don't stagger from the promise of God. We don't stagger at the principles of God. God's word is true. His principles are true. We'll come back to this verse in a few minutes. But 2 Thessalonians 2.15 says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you have been, been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now, tradition here deals with the truths and instructions of God passed down or passed to us from others. You realize the apostles passed down some instructions from Jesus to the next generation of Christians. Those are recorded for us in our Bible. We are to stand fast in those. And again, we'll say more about that, but... The, the fact is, these principles of God's word, the idea that you and I, we'll see, we'll see a verse in a few minutes, that our conversation is to be as becometh uh, our, our profession, meaning we are to have a, a lifestyle that matches our profession of faith, that's one of the traditions that's been handed down, we are, Titus 2 says, the grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness and Worldly lusts and to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world, they're those trying to move us from that tradition. By tradition, the Bible didn't say hold fast the traditions of men. No, no, no. You say, well, God's against tradition. No, he's not. Here he said hold fast the traditions, meaning the truths of God that have been passed down from every generation of Christian to the next. Don't abandon them. We have a people right now that are my generation. They were handed some things from the last generation that are rooted in the word of God and because it is not advantageous to building a big ministry, they've said, fooey on that, we'll do it our way. Shame on them. There are some traditions like abstaining from all appearance of evil. Now we're going to retranslate that verse because I want to get a tattoo. Come on. The body is still the temple of the Holy Ghost. That's a tradition. has nothing to do with saving your soul, but it has to do with belonging to God. Do you realize there are things that are identified with vile, evil things? Or another preacher give this illustration. I'm just going to borrow it from him. He says, is there anything wrong with wearing leather? Help me now. Well, of course not. Is there anything wrong with wearing black? But if I come in next Sunday with black leather chaps and a black leather vest with black leather fringes, would that affect the way anybody here thinks? It should. Because I'm identifying with a different crowd, am I not? Can I go a step further? You say, what does this have to do with anything? There are some principles that lead to practice. Some people blow off the handle and say angry things, and we destroy some principles sometimes by doing that. How about if next week I come in with skinny jeans and a flannel untucked shirt... And the pulpit is gone, and we got a stool. Is that okay? Number one, if I come in in skinny jeans, you're going to lose your lunch. But anyway, (laughs) isn't it amazing? People wear skinny jeans that they're not, and it's bad. Anyway, I'll just, we'll digress. Why? Because there is an identification there. We're identifying with a movement. We're identifying with a crowd. We're... We're identifying with a message and with a spirit. And these are some things that, if you read your Bible, have been passed down. There are some things that aren't inherently evil, but if we identify with them, we advocate evil. You with me? Those are some of the kind of traditions we're talking about. You know what? There are principles that support our convictions of the truth of the gospel. And the Bible says, hold them fast. I really respect in the Old Testament uh, a group of young men that their father told them not to build a house and never to drink wine. And it seems to me that includes non-fermented wine, not just the alcoholic stuff, none of it. And when Jeremiah the prophet offered them cups full of wine, they said, can't do it. Why? Our dad told us not to. He told us not to. By the way, their dad, if you take it back, was with Jehu the day he killed Jezebel. I thought that was pretty neat. If you study your Bible, the guy who told him don't drink wine, don't build houses, he's the one with Jehu who said, come up and see my zeal for the Lord. Here we got two, three generations later, you got his grandkids not drinking alcohol, not drinking even un- the non-fermented wine for one reason. There's a principle, honor thy father. And they said, we're not willing to do that. And God used them and said, you see these boys? They'll honor their earthly father. In some places, everybody else has liberty. They're the sons of Rechab, right? The Rechabites. You remember them? And he says, and you won't even honor God in the areas where I've told you specifically. You know, there's some things you perhaps have been taught by people before you. Uh, you know, the word tradition. Let me read the meaning of that word. We're to hold fast to these tradition. It means transmission, and that is specifically a, a precept. If you're dealing with it in the concrete term, it can refer back to the Jewish traditionary law, which is obviously not the context of Second Thessalonians. Uh, Chapter 2, where it says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Uh, The Webster's 1828 defines the word this way, delivery. So It's the idea of something being transferred from one to another. The act of delivering into the hands of another, uh, the delivery of opinions or doctrines, practices, rights, customs, from father to son or from ancestors to posterity, so on and so forth. Then it says, number three, the third... Uh, the third definition, that which is handed down from age to age by oral, of course, in the Word of God, by written communication. Um, the Jews, for instance, paid great regard to tradition in matters of religion, uh, Protestants, and so forth. But the idea is traditions may be good, they may be bad, they may be true or they may be false. In the context of Scripture, we're talking about stand fast and hold fast to traditions. We're talking about the traditions that are preserved in God's Word. Those things have been handed down for 2,000 years now. Somebody says, okay, let me, give a, let me give you a perfect example. We have something recorded in our Bibles. Let's use the construct of a Christian home, okay? This is something that many today are abandoning. The construct of a Christian home is that a husband, a wife, okay? Not a husband, a husband. I think that's elementary for us here tonight. But the authority structure in that, the husband is the head of the wife. He is to love her and she's to submit to him. How many of us would say our culture left that behind a long time ago? Now, there are churches today are leaving that behind too and say, you know, that's not the world we live in, Pastor. I'll tell you why not. One of the reasons is not because we have not stood fast in it. So stand fast in the faith means stand fast in the promises of God, but stand fast in the principles of God's word that have been handed down. God saw fit to preserve that construct in his book. And it's been passed down. This is the way God wants Christians conducting their families. If we'd pay better attention to that, our families as Christians would be more blessed by it. Amen? That it's the, the parent's job to bring the children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. That is the, 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 the responsibility of a Christian father to make sure his children are getting an education about who the Lord is and what it means to live by faith. And he is not to provoke them to wrath and to anger. Does that have anything to do with obtaining righteousness? Or is it saying because you're righteous, this is the way your heavenly father wants you to conduct yourself to the honor of his good name? Hold fast the traditions those precepts and principles handed down to those of us who are resting in the Lord Jesus Christ for our righteousness. He says, and we'll say more about practical conduct in a few minutes, but our, our persuasion of the truth of God's promises, the righteousness of his principles and precepts that govern our lives, and therefore the practices that come out of that, uh, we're to hold fast to that. That's what means to stand fast in the faith. Look at Galatians chapter 1 again, verse 6. And then we'll back over to Galatians 5, uh, Galatians 1, verse 6. Paul says this to the Galatians when he first writes them, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. He said, you have shifted from the faith. Then he says this in Galatians 5, verses 7 and 8. Galatians 5, 7 and 8. Ye did run well. You were on course. You were making progress. You were moving toward uh, the the ultimate objective of Christ-likeness in your life. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not, what's it say? Obey the truth, meaning have a life that is consistent with your belief. Verse 8, this persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. They're going back to the law of Moses signified we do not have confidence that we're righteous as we are. We got to go back in some way try to obtain righteousness or procure it or prove it. Paul says you're going back to the law helps me know you are not holding on to the fact that when you trusted Christ he made you righteous. Settled deal. You're not obeying the truth. Your conduct reveals your change of doctrine. this: yes, yes, If next Sunday I said church We have a a rack full of gospel tracts, but you know, I'm concerned. I'm concerned. When you take those out, you really, really, really need to pray before you hand one out. Because you might give it to somebody that God does not intend to save. So I want you to hang on to that. God may not want that person to be saved. You would not want to resist the will of God. Of course, if I was already believing that way, I would believe you can't. But... Would, how many of you would say that instruction about practice has signified a difference in persuasion? I'm convinced tonight God would have all men to be saved and come under the knowledge of the truth. Now do pray. He may want that guy to get it before that guy. But don't not go and give. He would have all men to be saved. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Amen? The point would be this. Change in conduct is a revelation of change in conviction the Galatians were not obeying they were not living a life in conformity with the truth they once knew was true and same is true in our life so we hold fast to the promises of God our persuasion of his promises our persuasion of the righteousness of his principles and our practice in conformity to those principles and again we'll get down to that in our final point so f- f- number one we are to stand fast in the faith, stand fast in our persuasion. Number two, we're here at Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, we're to stand fast in our position. Because the persuasion of the Lord Jesus Christ is true, that faith in Jesus Christ is our justification. We are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. You are to stand fast. And I am liberated from anything that says I have to do that to become righteous. No, no, you're already there. Anything we do is because of our conviction that we've been made righteous. It is from our persuasion, and there's a liberty in knowing I am now free from my sin. It is not my master any longer. I know how longer have to... How I many you know what it means to service a debt? And to service a debt is you get a mortgage, and we use that term. You have to service your debt, meaning the borrower is servant to... The lender, as long as you have a mortgage to service your debt, you are not free to do with your money whatever you want. Well, you are if you want to lose your house. <laughs> so you're bound. Am I, am I right? But if someone came along and said, you know what? So you got your money, that your income that comes in, you're looking at your income, you say, you know what, inflation's going up, and having a hard time meeting our mortgage, but I owe all this great amount? I have to service my debt, and you're going to ritualistically pay your mortgage if you're a person of responsibility. But the fact of the matter is, if you can't service it correctly, the debt will grow. When it comes to sin, there's a sin debt. And you and I, through the law, you know what the law was? It was us servicing our debt. We couldn't even pay the interest, let alone the principal. And Christ came along and paid the whole thing. Now, if somebody came along and said, you know what? I just paid your mortgage off. And the bank called and said, when are you coming down to pay your debt this month? What would you tell them? I'm free. I owe you nothing. The law says you're not righteous. And you say, I am now. My debt's paid. You better keep the Sabbath. I owe nothing. It's kept in Christ. I don't owe that. I don't owe a life of, of rigid conformity to the law of Moses. That is cleared for me by my faith in Jesus Christ. And so then, we could use a number of illustrations, but this stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, you and I are not servicing the guilt of our sin. Not if you're trusting Christ. Your sin has been fully paid. Your punishment has been duly handed out. All the righteousness that God demands and requires is yours in Christ Jesus. It's already yours. So any right thing we do is just Him living in us and through us. And Paul said, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. Uh, he's speaking here in the liberation we have from our sin. John chapter 8, verses 34 through 36. John chapter 8. Here's the, it, this idea of liberty deals with, is faith in Christ sufficient for full salvation? Is faith in Christ alone enough to make a man righteous? answer is yes because he is righteousness because here's where people will drag you back under the yoke of the law yes it's faith in Christ but if you truly have faith in Christ you'll go back and do this what Paul says no if you have faith in Christ you're not gonna go back to the law of Moses you and I called to a higher principle by the time Galatians is done he's gonna deal with the principle of love he's gonna deal with the law of Liberty He's going to deal with the principle of conformity to Christ. I mean, no, that's better than a physical, outward, rigid conformity to outward conduct that doesn't change the inward man. Under grace, the inward man has already changed. We just need to comply and get the outward man to line up because we're free. We have been set free from the bond of sin. John chapter 8, and that doesn't just mean it's power over our will to get us to commit sin, but it's power over our conscience to feel the guilt of our sin. John 8, verse 33, they answered him, "We be Abraham's seed, and we're never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou ye shall be made free? Jesus had just said in verse 32, "And ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free." And they said, we've never been in bondage to any man, proving they were. Have the Israelites ever been in bondage? What are they talking about? They'd been in bondage to uh, Babylon. They were currently in bondage to Rome. They couldn't even govern their nation the way they wanted to. They had to govern it according to Roman law. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, Uh, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin, and the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth ever. If the son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. May I say this? In Scripture, when we're dealing with liberty... We're dealing with being made free from, help me now, sin. Not free to sin, free from sin. Very important. He says, you stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made you free. When when you took Christ as your Savior, as we said before, he cut The bonds to sin. Sin no longer owns you. Sin no longer controls you. This is why Romans 6 says, Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin and alive unto God. Meaning, take God at His word. Sin is not your master. Now, tonight, sin will try to deceive us. Satan will try to deceive us through sin. Our flesh uh, is deceitful and tries to deceive us that sin is good for us. But may I say this now? If you're saved here tonight, sin is not your master. You know what the law says? Because sin is my master, I have to manage my sin. No, sin is not your master. We've been set free from sin. So stand fast in our persuasion, our, our persuasion of the truth of God's promises, the righteousness of His principles, the rightness of the practical obedience to those truths. But stand fast in our position. I am liberated from the, the controlling power of sin in my life. Romans 8 says it this way, and we cover these verses a lot, but Romans chapter 8, Romans 7 talks about the law of sin and death. But Romans 8, very interesting. I did some reading on liberty this week, so forgive me for intermingling the concept, but Romans, because I want to deal with it more specifically next time, but Romans chapter 8 is a greater law, and I was reading about just political liberty and civil liberty and these kind of things. The only way to secure any level of liberty for, our, for humanity is we have to create laws that limit liberty to some degree. Very interesting. Meaning, if I tell some other sinner, you can do whatever you want, he'll come take my liberty. <laughs> you know it's true, right? And so it takes law, at least, especially in the human standpoint, but here it takes a greater law to undo the lesser law. The greater law of liberty conquers the law of bondage. Sin binds us. We don't... You know, what, you know why you and I sin? Because there's an impulse to sin, and we don't have the power to say no. That's what sin is, is I know what I ought to do. I may even want to do it, but I can't. I go back and do it again. That's the law of sin and death. It's in us. Romans 8 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit, for the law, just like there's a law of sin and death, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Because Jesus has conquered sin, because Jesus has conquered death, and he lives in me, I have his life to conquer the same. You're sitting here tonight, right now, you're probably going, Near. what screams back at that and says, I don't know if that's true, your practical experience with sin. You with me tonight? Pastor, I know that's what the Bible says, but I also know my track record. I know, Yeah. what are you believing more? Your experience or God's word? If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. The answer to your sin is not signing back up for the mortgage. It's taking God at His word that He paid it in full. You've been liberated through the death and resurrection of Christ. Stand fast in that liberty. We are liberated from sin and we are liberated to serve. We'll say more about this next time, but the Bible says in Galatians chapter 5 that we're not to use our liberty as an occasion to the flesh, but we are to, by love, serve one another. We are liberated not only from sin, but we are liberated. Romans 6 is all about this. We are liberated to serve God. For those tonight who are trying to take The concept of liberty to say you are free to pursue your lust. They're signing you back up to your mortgage. Just like taking somebody back under the law does the same thing. No, no, no. I am free to serve God. I am free to serve God's people. And so, as we said before, the law binds us to our sin and binds our sin to us. But faith in Christ sets us free from sin. It is no longer my master, and is not to be a controlling factor in my life, either through impulse or through guilt. I believe sin controls us one of those two ways, our enticement to commit it or our guilt for having done so. In Christ, I am free from its power to rule me through enticement, and I am free from the guilt that came from my surrender to it. Christ has paid it all. Don't move from the liberty you have in Christ has set you free from sin. Stand fast in that liberty. Number three, we're to stand fast in our persuasion. We're to stand fast in our position of liberty. Number three, we're to stand fast in our practical living. Philippians chapter one. So we already covered that. Well, let's get a little more specific. Philippians chapter one, verse 27. This term is used, again, Philippians chapter one, verse 27. Only... That's an important word. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. We could stop right there. We're going to and consider this statement. Only, meaning this is the only way you're to live your life. Let your conversation. What is our conversation? Your manner of life. Only let your conversation be. So at any given moment, make sure the way you're living your life Becometh the gospel of Christ. The gospel of Christ, the good news that Jesus Christ came, lived a sinless life, died for our sins, raised from the dead, and has liberated me from my sin. Is that not the good news? For us who have received Christ, we have the assurance he has saved me from my sin. A person that is continually still living in sin, something that we know as sin and that those around us know as sin, is living a life that contradicts what we say we believe. I'm liberated from sin, but I can't stop doing it. That doesn't become the gospel, does it? Here's the good news. Christ will set you free from sin. He set me free too. I still have a potty mouth and I can't change it. Let one slip. No, 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 no. The message we believed is true, so let's make sure that our actions don't contradict our persuasion. That's exactly what he says because you know that the gospel is true don't end up being a stumbling block for somebody else believing it only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ becometh is the word we would use is match or, or or lines up with or is conducive to something that is it's matching and so uh if if you walked out tonight and you look at my vehicle and there, there's that uh, sequoia sitting out there, and I have uh, two wheels on one side, and they're size 14, and on the other side, I've got 22 inches. That's an odd-looking vehicle right there. It's not going to work very well either. It's not becoming of the vehicle. If I come in here in black leather chaps and motorcycle gear, that's not becoming either. It just doesn't fit. See what I'm saying? God expects us to understand what is a... What is a matching, what what lines up and goes along with the position we hold? You see, we have a persuasion that gives us a position. Our practice should reflect the position we have through our persuasion. Our practice should say this is truth. This is becoming. How many of us know this? When you see the president of the United States standing in front of a group of people using foul language that's not becoming of his office, he is to honor the office he holds He dresses down, perhaps. One of the things that have been criticized about a few of our presidents is they're standing and they're not, they're no tie, no jacket. They're not, they're not living in a way that's becoming of their office. They're holding the highest office in the land and dressing like the janitor. That doesn't fit. It's unbecoming. Listen, Christian, there are things tonight you may have liberty to do meaning you're not saved because you do them or don't, but if you do them, it's going to falsely represent the truth of the gospel. It's going to make it look like Christ didn't save you. You go out here tonight as a Christian, get a tattoo. You're not losing your salvation, but you are sending a mixed message. You are sending a mixed message to say, I'm going to live and look like a heathen and claim to love God. No, no, only only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. He set me free from sin, so why should I look like a person who is devoted to sin? Why should I talk like a person that's devoted to sin? Look, it, we're confident we are righteous in Christ Jesus, but don't send a mixed signal to those who don't know him. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Let's move on, Philippians 1, that whether I come and see you or else be absent. What Paul is saying is, so I don't want you doing this to please me. I don't want you doing this to make me happy. This is about you and God. This is about integrity of Christian living. So whether I come or I'm absent, uh, I may hear of your affairs. Here it is, that ye stand fast in one spirit meaning there is an agreement amongst yourselves. You are unified around this truth of understanding that what people think about the gospel is more important than what people think about me. Can I say that again? What people think about the gospel of Jesus Christ is more important than what they think about me. It is more important that my coworkers know that the gospel is true than they know that I'm cool. Young people, listen to me tonight. I know the pressures of going out and working in a world where people don't know or love God. And I know the temptation you face to make them like you. God did not call you to get your coworkers to like you. He did call you to represent the truth of His Son to them so that they can be saved. If they die without Christ because they thought they, the, your life confused them, so here's the temptation... Well, I don't want to be a potty mouth, but everybody around me uses words they shouldn't. And if I slipped one in every once in a while, they would be more accepting of me. This is where where Christianity meets real life. Well, I don't want to listen to the garbage they listen to, but if I listen to something more like what they listen to, they would be more acceptant of me, and then I would have more of an opportunity to give them the gospel. That is a ploy. You need to make sure whatever your conversation is in front of them, it reflects very clearly that God saved you from the sin that has them bound. I'm not bound by your fornication. I love you, praying for you, but I'm not bound by that. I've been set free. I'm not bound by your addiction to pleasure. I've been set free. I'm I'm not bound by pride any longer. I'm a sinner like anybody else, but God has set me free and I'm saved. And you know what? You don't ever have to have those words come out of your mouth the way you... It'll need to someday, but the way... I'm not preaching lifestyle evangelism. But the way you live your conversation is going to reflect on the gospel. And God says, you need to be... Listen, church, tonight we need to be united in this. It doesn't. It's what Paul is saying. Look, it doesn't need to be my motivation for you. You shouldn't just have this motivation when the preacher gets stirred up and it's preaching about how you represent the gospel, whether you're seen by the preacher or seen by your dad or seen by your mom or just seen by the Holy Ghost. You and I as brothers and sisters in Christ should have one spirit to say, we are more concerned about whether or not people believe the gospel than whether or not they think highly of us. Because if they don't believe the gospel, they're going to die and go to hell. And Christ will not get the glory he's worthy of. And they think that, listen, so many Christians have got people around them believing that the gospel is no different than any other so-called gospel because it has no impact on our lives. And it's our duty to say, our concern, we're going to be united with one spirit. We're going to stand fast in one spirit. We're not going to move from this. Not one of us in Bonner's Ferry Baptist Church is going to fall for this nonsense that by joining them in their sin we'll have a better chance of winning them to Christ. What a lie from the devil. No, that's not true. Every soul in this room ought to say by the grace and help of God when I go to work or when I go to school or I'm among whoever it may be in this lost world my first and foremost concern is what do they believe about the message of truth that I know to be true? I know Jesus is the way of salvation. I know He's the way of righteousness. I'm holding fast my persuasion because I know He is. I'm going to make sure I represent that truth faithfully in front of them by a life, not desecrated with sin, but faithful to Christ by His power and by His grace. Amen? Only, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together, what for? The faith of the gospel. Do you realize how broad this principle is? This is not, um, so make sure that you don't eat this or you don't eat that. Do you realize this principle may affect what I eat on certain days? Paul applied it this way. You have liberty to eat meat. And if an unbeliever bids you to go to a feast and say... This was offered to an idol that I won't eat it. Why? Do you realize that's the instruction given in God's word? You have liberty to eat meat, but the moment they say it's offered an idol, because you need to make sure your conversation becomes the gospel, you need to indicate to them, I'm not bound by idolatry. God set me free from worshiping false gods. I, I won't have anything to do with that. This is broad and encompassing. This principle covers every facet of our life, our language, our conduct, uh, where we go, where we won't. I remember years ago, being invited to a Christmas party at work and had a lost friend I mentioned him this morning, an agnostic fellow, and I thought I'll try to go. And I had that feeling it's probably not something I'm going to be able to stay at, but I'll try. It was at a bowling alley in Knoxville, Tennessee, and I got there. as soon as I got there, everybody's got beer. Everybody's drinking, just a bad atmosphere. I kind of pulled off myself, and my agnostic friend said, no, you don't want to be here? I said, I don't. He'd give me a ride. He said, you want me to take you back? I said, I'd like that. He said, I will. And he got me out of there. He knew I didn't want to be there. I'm glad he knew it, and I'm glad he had enough respect for what I believed to help me out. The fact of the matter is, had I stayed, it would have made a statement to him. Another coworker, an agnostic fellow, the first day I ever met him, the first day ever, he said, oh, you're a preacher, huh? That word got out fast. I wasn't even a pastor. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm working a full-time job with him. You're a preacher, a Christian? Yeah. He said, ah, I had, a, I had a Christian roommate at Indiana State University. I said, oh, yeah? He said, yeah, he was always talking about his Christian music. He said, it didn't sound any different than the stuff I listened to. First thing that man told me, you know what he's saying? I dismiss his belief because of his conduct. You say, well, he shouldn't have got offended at that. The other guy shouldn't have given the offense. Say, so the other guy wasn't saved? Probably was. I don't know. He believed in Christ, but I know this. His conversation was not as it becometh the gospel of Christ. In the mind of that other man, it was a double standard. He's listening to this. You know what? You know why men, lost men listen to music they listen to? They like what it does for their old fleshly rot. It appeals to the flesh. And when we listen to music that sounds the same way, they know we're a joke. Listen, this is where Christianity, the rubber meets the road. You know what's sad to me today? The average professing Christian in our country dismisses the kind of instruction we're getting from Philippians 127 tonight as legalism, and it's not even anything close to legalism. But that is their cop-out for living according to their lust, doing what's right in their own eyes. Oh, we got something a lot more important than what I like. We need to get over our preferences. You know what we need to be thinking about? Is anything I'm doing going to undermine that person believing the truth of what I know has set me free? I know I'm free. I know I'm forgiven. But unless they come to the persuasion that I've been brought to by God's word, they won't be free. And I don't want to undermine that. That's the one spirit he's talking about. Let us strive together. What for? We are to stand fast in this purpose of others coming to the faith of the gospel. Stand fast for the faith of the gospel, meaning the persuasion of the truth of the gospel. And our practical living needs to be, we need to stand fast in our conviction, our concord, one spirit, one mind, our conflict, striving together for the faith of the gospel. It means it takes a concerted effort together to see other people come to faith in Christ. Amen? We've seen some young people get saved here in the last few weeks. It thrills my soul. But you know what I hope they're seeing? With the various people that are interacting with them, I hope they're finding what these people have is real. You know what? My Sunday school teacher, she lives the way she teaches. You know, that church member that I only see on Sunday, I saw him in the store the other day. I saw one of those young people in the store the other day, and they were behaving in the store the same way they behave at church. There's something to this. You with me? It takes a concerted, unified effort to see people overcome the lies of Satan to dismiss the gospel. You and I have to know we're competing with someone that will point out our inconsistency. Look, none of us is perfect. We understand that. But we can be faithful. We can be consistent. And so tonight, we need to stand fast in our persuasion. The gospel's true. You're as righteous as you'll ever be or need to be by faith in Jesus Christ. Stand fast in our position. We've been liberated from any kind of a system that says you have to add to the righteousness of Christ or do this to be right. No, 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 we're free from that. Uh, But our persuasion leads to some practical living. If what I have believed has freed me from sin, what I believe will free him from sin. And then to make sure that what I do never causes him to doubt the truth, of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's liberty. We'll talk about next week the dangers of liberty. We're not to use our liberty as an occasion to the flesh. We're not to use our liberty as a cloak of maliciousness. We're not to use our liberty to cause another to be offended at the truth of God's word. Yet we have liberty tonight, and we need to rejoice in that and stand fast, don't be moved from our persuasion, our position of liberty, and the practical living of a free people that are free to serve the Savior and honor His name.